Welcome back to another episode of Vancouver Real. My name is Andy Zaremba, and as usual, we are recording here on a 70 West Cordova Street here in Gastown, British Columbia, Canada. And today I'm flying solo because Mike actually injured his back, so I'm going to be operating the helm and hosting the podcast at the same time. But uh, that's okay, but because we have a very awesome guest today, another TEDx Stanley Park speaker. Um, and if you are interested in learning more about flotation therapy, you can visit uh, the website floathouse.ca and you can use the promo code VancouverReal and that will get you a 20% discount on a single float. So if that's something that's ever crossed your radar or if you've ever been curious about it, go check out the website and uh, use the promo code VancouverReal to get 20% on a single float. So like I said, I'm going to go really quickly with the intro today and I'm going to dive right in with our guest. We have Claire... Say your last name again for me. Snayman. Snayman. You just said that right before, so I should have been able to get it, but I, I couldn't. But um, you're, uh, then I think, the sixth TEDx Stanley Park speaker that we've interviewed, so mm-hmm. welcome to Vancouver Real. Thank you so much for having me here today. So, you know, with all these TEDx speakers, they with TEDx, they always want to have a, a very specific... Uh, message. They want to have a message that will inspire people and call people to action. So generally, they only accept speecher, speakers who have a, a really great story to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't you start there? Why don't you start with uh, explaining you know, why you chose your topic? and First, what your topic is and why you chose it. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Well, thanks so much for having me here today. Well, thanks for being here. And uh, you're right. Uh, when you go through the TEDx Stanley Park uh, process, you have to really have identified what your story is. Um, and my, my topic is your health is in your hands. And it stems back to my own personal story as a patient, uh, which started in 2010. And in 2010, I was diagnosed with a non-malignant brain tumor. And this was as a result, I had the sudden onset of vertigo and migraines, which I'd never had before. And during my patient journey, I had a few sort of changes in treatment from standard uh, sort of routine care that doctors normally give. I had some differing opinions. And I suppose I realized two things really quite uh, immediately. And the first thing was that I really needed to partner with my doctor. Um, And I also needed to be more of an active participant in my healthcare. I was more sort of a bystander or an onlooker in the past. I I used to go to the doctor for the common cold and cough and flu. And now I really was in the thick of it. I'd never really been in the healthcare system to this extent before. Right. Um, I know I had some... How extensive was it? Like how, how, uh, how much treatment and stuff were you receiving? So for me, I was put on what they call a watch and wait protocol. Uh, I didn't, which means uh, like monitoring with yearly MRIs. Uh, I had a neurosurgeon. I had a neurologist. I had medications for the the vertigo, the dizziness. I had medication for the migraines and then follow-ups with my GP. So for me, surgery wasn't an immediate option. Right. Um, And I didn't have, for example, chemotherapy or anything like that. Um, And so I realized that I really had to be more on top of my health. Uh, in order to sort of get through this process. I had a four-year-old son when I was diagnosed. Oh, wow. And I think for me, that was one of the biggest uh, sort of instigators to really be more on top of what was going on. I can imagine. Because I wanted to be around and, you know, watch him grow up. Yeah. I think any parent can relate to that part of it all. Um, In 2012, so two years after I was diagnosed, I got acutely ill. I got 
really, really bad migraines and vertigo to the point where my family doctor was sending me to this specialist and that one and to the ER. And long story short, what actually happened was that my brain tumor had doubled in size. Wow. And it had blocked the flow of fluid in my brain and my brain was swollen. That's scary. Mm -hmm. It was scary times for me, for my husband, my son, my family. And uh, I had to have brain surgery. That's the only way to sort of rectify the situation. Otherwise, unfortunately, I wouldn't be here today, but I am, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And um, that whole situation as well, once again, just reminded me that I I had to be my own advocate. There were sort of a couple of things that happened. But uh, after my recovery, which was a long recovery, uh, it reminded me again that how important it is for whether it's myself, my husband, my family, that you have to put your health in your own hands. Interesting. So even though you had access to all these specialists, all these different doctors and went through all these procedures, uh, you still believe that it's your own responsibility to take care of your health? Is that what you're saying? So what I'm saying is, is that I think it's important to, number one, to, we know our own bodies, right? We're in our bodies 24-7. And even though, yes, we don't go to university and study to be a doctor, I think it's really important that we take a more active role. Because I think the society is changing these days with regards uh, how we view patients and their interaction with doctors. Uh, take 30 years ago, it was very, very different. You know, the doctor would say, this is what you do. Everyone would walk out the door and go, right. yeah, totally, yes, agreed. Right. Um, I think these days there is more of a shift towards engaged and empowered and activated patients. And that's very much the stance that I saw happen during my patient journey. And if I myself hadn't taken that approach, I actually wouldn't be here today. Right. So um, basically, you're saying that uh, like the healthcare system, uh, for whatever reason, is not being as accommodating to, to people. Like in my own experience, I, I've noticed that uh, doctors, they, they get you in and out as quickly as they can a lot of the time. And it's probably because they have to, in a sense. But you're saying that there's also now going, there's now a shift back to that more personal care, that more one-on-one relationship where the doctor really knows you and knows like knows you inside and out, including like what's going on for you mentally, emotionally, physically, all of those things. I think it's I think it's a, a couple of things. I think firstly the firstly we have healthcare systems, and I think this is not just for Canada. I think this is a global situation. We have healthcare systems that are overburdened. They, yeah. they are complex to navigate. Um, and especially going forward, there's a lot more aging populations. There's this burden of like chronic diseases. So once again, as I said, they're overburdened and they're complex. Um, so what that means is, is for people who are entering into that as a patient or maybe a caregiver or so forth, it's, it's very, the first time you're going in, it's very confusing and overwhelming. So, when you're heading in there, yes, you may see a doctor. And as you were saying, sometimes you're in and out and you don't actually know what questions you should ask, what you should be doing. Um, and it can be a very challenging, very challenging situation. And that is why I'm saying is it's really important for patients to start to um, take a little bit more responsibility and put their health in their own hands. Because for doctors, it's the other side of the equation as well. That healthcare system is just as overwhelming and complex and overburdened for them too, not just for patients. Right. Yeah. So if we have patients and doctors 
the patients are taking more responsibility for their care um, so that when they go into the doctor's office, they're asking those questions. They've been managing their medications and appointments at home. Um, and the doctor, yes, is also working in a highly overburdened system. It, it gets more of a partnership <clears throat> instead of people working at different angles. And I think when there's that collaboration and working together, exactly. Uh-huh. I think that's a better situation to be in yep. than, you know, the doctor's working at one angle and the patient's working at a different angle. Right. A hundred percent. I think that it's so important that, uh, that those, those channels of communication are completely open mm-hmm. and it's not just a doctor saying, okay, this is your diagnosis. All right. Now yep. ne- on to the yep. next patient. Right. Yep. Um, yep. You mentioned in the uh, the video I watched on the TEDx Stanley Park website, which is happening on March third, correct? Third of March. It is my goodness me, less than three weeks away. Wow. How's that? <laughs> How are you feeling about that? You know what? I'm feeling really excited right now. People mm-hmm. are like, wow, are you nervous? And I'm like, I'm mm-hmm. not nervous right now, but uh, talk to me about the week before and I'm sure I will be human and so I will be nervous. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I think it's completely understandable. Um, but you mentioned... Um, you know, even being in those situations where you have specialists or doctors that are disagreeing with one another. Mm-hmm. Is that actually a common thing that, that goes on? Um, I think it can definitely happen. I mean, the human body is so complex, right? Yeah. And there is so so much research that goes on into different areas of it. So I think differing medical opinions can definitely happen. So I think and that, that, that happened to your for me. Stress if, totally. Like, you're having experts arguing about what mm-hmm. the right course of action is supposed to be. That's right. So yeah. that happened to me. I had differing, differing medical opinions. And so what I did then is I asked for another opinion and then um, looked at the various opinions and made a decision. And for me, my family doctor, my GP, was integral in helping me through the whole process. She was like a captain in my ship, really helping right. guide through, through the waters. Is that the role of a GP generally? Uh, that's a that's a good question. I think my GP stands out. Um, yeah. To be honest with you, um, I think I think a, a GP is 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 an essential part of any sort of healthcare of, for anybody really. Right. Um, the specialist is there to give advice when it's a specific condition or area that requires. Uh, as you were saying, expert advice. Right. Um, but for me, obviously, I went back to my GP when you know the re- results came in from my specialist appointment and so forth. Um, but yeah, differing medical opinions can definitely happen. I think as in any industry that you come across, it can happen. But we're talking about the human body here, which is an incredibly complex entity. Right. Um, so I think whenever for a patient, for me, it's a sense of if you need a second opinion, ask for a second opinion. Right, totally. Um so also in regards to the talk that you're going to be giving, I know, I know Roger requires that they have a, a really compelling message to give, and he also likes to have a call to action, something that people can actually take home and put into action in, yes. in, the lives, in their yes. lives, in the world, uh, that hopefully goes out and actually makes a difference. Mm-hmm. So what would your call to action be for your talk that day? Huh, that's a, a great question. So my talk is, so it's all about my my personal story, but it has a, a very clear call to action. Um, it is definitely about putting your health in your own hands, being more proactive because you might save a life. And I know that sounds quite, wow, my goodness, that's quite dramatic. But for me, that was actually the, the exact case. Um, if I hadn't been more proactive, I wouldn't be here today because uh, the steps that I took 
allowed me to push and ask for that extra MRI and keep on pushing. And if I hadn't, they would not have picked up that my brain tumor had doubled in size and I would have gone home and gone to sleep and not woken up. So my, my um, action and ask for the TEDx audience is be proactive, take responsibility, put your, ha- your health in your own hands, and I give them a tool that allows them to do that. Because I think that's the important part is, is not just to say, this is what I'd like you to do and inspire and take a brave action, but right. I'd like to say, this is how I'd like you to do it. Let's talk about that, the idea of taking your health into your own hands a little bit more. Um, can you expand on that and give more detail of what you mean by that? Uh, like a tool onto how to do it. A tool, or mm-hmm. or what, or what you, or, or what yep. you mean by that? Do you yep. mean like t- taking care of your overall health, or yes. being real proactive? Like, yes. What's your stance on that? So I'll actually explain to you a little bit more um, about how I did it. So, for example, it's it's sometimes the small things, it's sometimes the big things. Um, <clears throat> for me. It's anything from if you are diagnosed or it could be your parents, it could be your son, it could be yourself. Um, if you are diagnosed with a health condition, it starts from it starts from the get go. It's anything from tracking your health, your records, getting copies of them. So if you go for a test, ask for copies of the, the report, the copy of the specialist report, the, the blood tests. So if, keeping your own records. Exactly. So yeah. or if you had a blood test, following up, <clears throat> do, have you got the results of that test that I had and so forth? Because a lot of people will not follow up and it might slide and the test results may not come back in. Right. And I think that's very important. So sort of tracking what's going on in your condition is, is really key. Mm-hmm. And that can start from the beginning. Um, for me as well, starting to track my symptoms and so forth was actually really important because when I went back in to see the specialist, he would say, so how have you been feeling? And I would think, oh my gosh, uh, I can't really think. Overall, I'm sort of good. And he's like, how many, how many migraines have you had over the last month? I'm like, ah, I'm, I, can't, I can't tell you offhand. Right, so really starting so to... So taking responsibility mm-hmm. and, and really starting to track things on that level as well was important, I think. Yeah, I think that's huge. And mm-hmm. I think people don't even really think about that too often until probably mm-hmm. something happens where yep. they're forced to think about it. Yeah. And I mean, my medical binder is now, is huge, right? Yeah. Um, but it's the story of me. I yeah. have all my details and all my information in one place. And this came in to be incredibly useful at many times when I'd go from one spe- specialist to another and they'd say, oh, but, you know, I don't have your copy of your latest MRI. And I'd whiz, you know, whip it out and go, oh, here it is. I have it right here. And they'd be like, oh, this is fabulous. Thank you so much. Right. So I always knew what was going on with my health at what time. So being able to track things, I think um, being able to be educated as well. And mm, that, I'm sure that's <laughs> a huge piece right there. Yes. And a very uh, in-depth one as well. I'm sure to, to do the, the necessary reading to really understand uh, what medical conditions you have and what your options are is quite yeah. uh, intense or a lot. And I know some people will probably roll their eyes at this, but, uh, you know, good old Dr. Google. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, there's pros and cons to that there, one. There are. Yeah. And I think it's we're so lucky in so many ways to have that resource by our sides where you can, like me, I was diagnosed at, I think I got home at 1 a.m. in the morning and that's the first thing I did is I sat down because the doctor answered a few questions of mine and then I was sent home and I was like, oh my gosh, I need more information. So I sat down 
and I, I typed into Google as to what I needed to find. But I think for people when they're educating themselves is find reputable and reliable uh, websites. I think that's key because otherwise you're diving down a very dark hole sometimes. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's really important. I think it's, yeah. I mean, it's, I think having Google and be able to search for those things is, is a nice thing as well. But also I feel like you're going to read some things on there that, you might read like worst case scenarios and you're like, Oh, well that could happen, but it might not happen to me. And it's like, do you really want to put that into your mind too? If you're going through something like that? Um, I, that's what I'm saying. I dive down that dark hole, uh, because I did a bit of that where I found the worst case scenario that, you know, I could drop dead, uh, you know, anytime walking through a street because of this and that. And I was horrified. Yeah. So, um, I think it's important to chat to like the doctor or the specialist, you know, find out the, you know, have that conversation with the healthcare provider. And then, yeah, sure, do your own research as well. Right. But just by and find out from your healthcare provider what are the best sites for me to go on because then at least you can have a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. And then you know what they're talking about, you know what your options are. Um, And I think that's that's really key is to be more educated on what your health diagnosis is. So, yeah, absolutely. So throughout this entire process, somehow Mm -hmm. you managed to write a book. Yes. What's your book called? (laughs) Uh, my book is called Two Steps Forward, Embracing Life with a Brain Tumor. And that's also the your website, twosteps.ca yep. as well. Yep, you can find me on twosteps.ca. Um, I wrote my book after my brain surgery. Um, it started as a journal. About three months after my surgery, I was struggling. I had so many emotions going on. And one day I remember sitting in front of my laptop going, I, I'm, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I'm happy, I'm angry, I've got all this going on. So I just sat in front of my laptop and started writing. And like two pages became 10 pages, became a lot of pages. Yeah. And And it it turned into a book. It turned into a book. um, Actually, as a result of my, I saw a clinical psychologist because I had uh, post-traumatic stress after my surgery. And she said, you know, think about one day maybe turning it into a book for other people who might be going through the same experience as you did. And I thought that's a... It's an excellent idea. And so I changed my journal into a book format. And yeah, there we go. Yeah. Well, I mean, like having a brain tumor and like, what's the title? Say your title again for the book. It's... Uh, Two Steps Forward, Embracing Life with a Brain Tumor. Yeah. Like that would be such a a hard one to accept. I mean, sure. I mean, Mm. there's there's plenty of terrible instances out there that people Mm. can get. But it's like that one's really directly sort of threatening like... Potentially, who you are and your ability to to, to function in the mm-hmm. world, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, so, how does one sort of embrace life with a brain tumor? Hmm. That's a good question because it's one of those what I call most of the time, and I shouldn't say I say most of the time because everybody has different symptoms and different presentations. But often with the brain, sometimes what happens is a lot of it is what one would call like invisible. Uh, symptoms. So a lot of the time you don't see what's actually happening. Um, so whether it's headaches, migraines, memory issues, cognitive issues, a lot of the time you actually don't see what's happening. You don't know right away. Exactly. So the yeah. person who's walking by or your work colleague or your friend doesn't actually realize what's going on and what you're feeling. 
Um, so I remember after my surgery, um, you know, six months down the line, people are like, oh, you know, she looks awesome. You know, she's great. You know, hair's grown back. She looks great. Everything must be fine. But inside, I was a complete mess because my like brain... psychologically? Like, um, my, my brain was... I was highly fatigued. I had short-term memory loss. Yeah. Um, I was... Uh, I was just... My body was like a minefield. I, I just... Yeah, it was not functioning well at all. And as I said, I had post-traumatic stress as well going on, which I didn't realize at the time. Um, and so the brain, because it's this unique organ... Uh, it's not like you break your leg and people can see you've broken your leg. So so it's almost like a, almost it, out of sight, out of mind yeah. going on there. Yeah. So I think I'm so aware now, having been through this, as to anything to do with the brain. Uh, it's I'm very uh, compassionate and empathize with anyone who has any sort of whether it's a mental health, whether it's a brain tumor, whether it's anything to do with the brain. I'm I. I'm very um, respectful of what that can mean because it's it's like an invisible disability. People don't see it, and so they often don't recognize it and know that it's actually there, but it's very much there. Sure. I think it's a, an excellent reminder of just so even being compassionate to people, even when someone's maybe acting a little yes. bit off or yes. erratically because yes. you don't know no. what's causing that. No. You really don't know. No. And for you to sit there... And assume that person's just an a hole or yep. whatever, or yep. or you know throw any kind of pejorative you want at that person mm-hmm. is so unfair because you don't know what that person's dealing with, no. and I, I I do feel like that's probably fairly common, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I agree. And um, as I said to you, I I've, I've got a, a much higher appreciation for exactly that type of thing, where I'm like, wow, because I know now for me, I often talked about wearing a mask. Where I'd often be like wearing a mask to people. Oh, yeah, I'm all good. I'm fine. But I'm like behind that mask. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm falling apart. I'm so tired. Yeah. I can barely function. I'm trying to keep it together. Um, but I'm I'm so tired. Yeah. Um, so. Throughout that process, um, I'm sure you went through a whole wide range of emotions and mm-hmm. uh probably going as far as like even exploring your own mortality and mm-hmm. thinking about what would that what would that be like um you know how, how did you deal with uh with those swings or or what are some maybe big like life sort of realizations realizations that you've had <laughs> by going through that journey oh yes totally totally because um as i said to you earlier when you People often say, oh, you know, it's a non-malignant brain tumor. That's that's okay. It should be fine. But where my brain tumor was is, is uh, was right in the middle of the brain in an area where, as I said to you, it blocked the cerebrospinal fluid. And when that happens, the brain can swell. And if that doesn't get resolved, that's unfortunately the end. So even though you have non-malignant brain tumors, they can potentially be fatal. So you're right, you, you get confronted with your own mortality and like, am I going to see my son grow up? Am I going to grow old with, old with my husband? And for me, that was almost harder than having to deal with the symptoms. Yeah. Because I, I I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, I'm like in my 30s and this is what's happening. I'm like, this is crazy. Um, I'm a hard worker, probably too hard actually. Um, and that was a big change for me because I had to learn to pull back. And I actually shifted. I started working for myself and decided I want to spend some more time at home with my son 
And I shifted quite a few things in my life because I realized that we're only here for a blink of an eye and we got to start breathing in some of the small things because yeah. uh, I have to remind myself that though because I tend to forget, but it did give me a few life lessons. Right. It's, it's interesting, right? Because you... I notice when I, I've noticed in, in the situations that I've, I've been around in situations like that before, yeah. um, that the person definitely, definitely changes, mm. uh, when they're faced with something like that. Yeah. And then let's say they recover and get over it and get back to the normal life. It's weird because you think that you wouldn't forget about that, but they, they sometimes do. And you almost have to remind yourself to be like, Oh yeah, right. This is life is so precious. I have to like respect every moment and be like so grateful that I'm here right now, mm-hmm. but it's so easy to get caught up in life and just start going again. and like, ah, da, da, you know, and maybe part of it is like, maybe part of you should do that and just yep. be like, move on, oh, yeah. you know? Yep. Cause it's just like, do you want to dwell on that for years? You know, I, I don't, I definitely, I agree. I, I think the, you want to move on for sure. What I call it is, I always say, I feel like I see the colors brighter than mm. I used to see before. Yeah. For example, I was reminded again on Sunday, we went cross-country skiing at Callahan. Nice. And I haven't cross-country skied, actually before my surgery. And I was out there and I literally could feel the euphoria like in my body. And I just was smiling the whole time. I was the slowest in the pack. I was at the back of the group. I was falling. I took my skis off several times on on the easiest runs because I knew I couldn't make it down the hill. I was too scared to. Um, but I, 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 didn't, I didn't have a frown on my face the whole time because I was just so happy I was out there right. doing what I was doing. And I wouldn't have had that sense of appreciation before. Um, and that You're, I'm mm-hmm. joyful that I've got that because that, that'll always be with me. And it's not a negative going like, oh, I did that because that's something that I'm like, I'm blessed to have that. So... You know, I know when I go through uh, any sort of experiences on my own that I'll go sometimes for a while, I'll go to say the, the darkest or worst case scenario, the darkest place, and I'll spend some time there and, mm. and, and I'll go into that place for mm. a while. Mm. And, um, you know, sometimes I'll even convince myself that that's probably what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if you were ever in those spaces and, and maybe you actually had the sense that you might die. Mm. Um, how did you deal with that? And mm. or what did you do to get over that? Mm. Yeah, I uh, I remember being in some dark spaces. I remember, um, <clears throat> yeah, I remember like phone calls to my mother in South Africa during work time with tears rolling down my face. My husband, yeah, many consoling times where, as you said, that sense of, it's that sense of uncertainty, not knowing what's coming the next day, that um, were so hard, to be honest. Um, how does one overcome that? Well, how, maybe so hard. how did you deal with it at the moment, in mm. the moment? Mm. In the moment, you know, for me, it was all about trying to be in the present and because that was a lot of it was like thinking in the future and going, what's going to happen then? What's going to happen then? And uh, most of it was trying to place myself in the present because as much as I knew this is what could potentially happen, that was like a, like a what if? Well, what if this happened? What if this happened? And sometimes I had to pull myself away from those sources, like if I was reading too much <laughs> of the dark news i'd have to pull myself away from that source 
I think that happens anyway in the news these days. Sometimes you have to sort of pull things away from you. Especially, um, with, especially with the news. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I had to pull myself away from some of the medical research journals I was reading or whatever. Um, but then I had to try and get myself more into the present and go, okay, I'm here today. What I love about today, <clears throat> what's awesome about today, and I can do this today. So let's fixate here and right now. Um, I have a son, I have a five-year-old son, I have an awesome husband, I am able to do this, I'm working, I live in Vancouver, da, da, da. And, and when you did that, how would that change things for you? That made me feel more grounded because I was able to go, well, things are good now and I'm healthy now. You know, my MRI is clean, it's not, you know, it's stable, nothing's growing, I'm feeling okay, my migraines are stable, etc. So right now at this point in time, I'm okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... Not easy, but that not was easy, my coping strategy. <laughs> but it really does uh, speak to the power of like living in the present moment. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, there is... In Christianity, they have... I can't remember exactly where it's from, but they talk about how uh, there's different stages to dying. Mm -hmm. And the very final stage of it is that acceptance stage. Yeah. Where, so you accept that, that this is happening and yeah. there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. And... Uh, at that point is when they generally will reach a state of peace. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. And, and, and to me, that has a lot to do with, like again, being like right there in that present moment and accepting, okay, this is just a situation, yeah. but I still have right now, and I can be as present and as aware and like in this moment as possible. Yeah, yeah. And and funny thing is about that is that, like, you know, we can access that anytime we want. Yes. Except that, you know, of course, we as human beings, we have to plan for the future. We have a lot of things to consider and yeah. we get really busy and that's normal. But yep. it's like we can tap into that anytime. Yeah. You know, it's an amazing thing. Yep. But, uh, you know, it's, it's just funny how it takes sometimes like a traumatic life event for us to really realize that, to yep. really get that. Yep. Yeah. I know. And so... Uh, one doesn't want to say you're thankful for, you know, having something like this, but that is the one thing I'm thankful for is it taught me a few things. And as I said, one of those is, is you know, be thankful for the present, be thankful for what you have, breathe in the small things totally, yeah. and, uh, and do that. So, yes. Yeah. So let's talk about just a little bit. Have you done a lot of public speaking before? Uh, so I have spoken to quite a few brain tumor audiences. Uh, I've spoken the Brain Tumor Foundation of Canada. Uh, I'm a volunteer for the Brain Tumor Foundation of Canada and I've spoken at their conferences and I've spoken to the American Brain Tumor Association at their conference as well. So I've spoken quite a bit into the brain tumor community, okay. which has been great to connect with those audiences. So how are you feeling about your talk at TEDx Stanley Park on March 3rd? Mm -hmm. March 3rd. Yes. Yeah. I'm very excited because I've got friends coming, which is fabulous, mm. and some family. Yeah. So I'll be waving at them. No, I won't be waving at them. I'll be smiling at them. <laughs> yeah. You'll be focusing on a sea of people. Yes, I know. Like, the wow. mass of 2,500 faces. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Uh, still got some, you know, practicing and so forth to do ahead. Uh, yeah. The last two and a half weeks are, are, are really critical and key. Just feeling comfortable and immersing immersing myself in it so I can I can say it backwards in my you know sleep right now but it's really about uh it's not about memorizing it's now about sort em of embodying yeah that's right it really is about getting to that stage so uh that's what these last two weeks the countdown is all about yeah uh, which is exciting I mean I couldn't be I mean it's it's a wonderful opportunity um, I'm very thankful to you know Roger Killen and his team and my coach uh, it's just been 
it's been a tremendous opportunity and the amount that I think one can grow from the beginning to the end is is phenomenal. And how many times have you practiced your speech? <laughs> I don't know. But I think my son and my husband could probably get up and do it for me. <laughs> That's a good sign. You, know, you, you really want to be like that, right? You want to over-prepare. So... Um, that's amazing. Uh, well, are there any sort of uh, final thoughts and messages that you'd like to get out today? Hmm. I think, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, I think especially in the, the TEDx Danny Park audience, there's going to be a lot of different people there. There'll be people, there'll be younger people who've perhaps never had, you know, any health conditions. There'll be uh, middle-aged people who have, there'll be people who've got older aging parents who potentially do have health conditions. Uh, so my talk might be of varying interest. People might take away different uh, aspects of it. Um, but I hope that people might go and walk out and go, okay, I need to perhaps go and ask my doctor another question or hmm, I must perhaps read up something there or you know what I should really go and do this or that and I think that's what the day is all about is making people go out and do one small thing that they wouldn't have done before um, and I think given you know where we are in life these days we're also busy we're also everything's going on we live busy lives I think we need to just take a step back and go, you know what, my life, I am important. My body is important. I need a partner with my healthcare provider. I need to connect with them and communicate with them. Um, but I actually need to take a, I need to take responsibility and I need to put my health in my own hands. And how can I do that? I can, I can track things. I must educate myself a bit more. I must ask questions and I must sort of be the manager of my healthcare. And, and that's really the things that I would love people to take away. Amazing. And you, uh, your website is steps.ca. What can people mm-hmm. find on your website? Uh, at my website, you can find information on my book. And by the time that TEDx arrives, you'll be able to find more information on uh, patient empowerment and activation and how people can become more sort of engaged in their own health care. It's going to have a little bit of a facelift before uh, TEDx Stanley Park. So there'll be some more tools and information there for people. Excellent. Well, yeah. thank you very much for joining me and, and, and sharing thank your you. story. It's a, it's a very moving one, very powerful. This is a little bit briefer of an interview that we normally do, but I feel like it's like it's just the right amount, and you've gotten you have a really powerful message, and I think we really hit on some some interesting points throughout the interview. So thank you for joining us. Today. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it, yeah, Andy. You're more than welcome. And of course, if you uh, if you like what you heard today, if you could leave us. Uh, a review on iTunes, YouTube, or Stitcher. That really, really helps. And if you know anyone who you think would be an excellent guest on the podcast, please email us the suggestion at info at vancouverreal.com or .ca, one of the two. I think it's .com. But uh, yeah, email us there, and you can uh, suggest anyone that you think is that is local and should be heard and has a great story to tell. So um, that's all we have for today, and thanks for listening. And until next time, to whatever is.